When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find a Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. It's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. Sean, how you doing, man? I'm pretty good, Casey. Really, really good. Good deal. We had a uh, hurricane roll through uh, Florida, and it didn't really pack the wallop that they thought it was going to pack, but a little bit of rain came out of it. Um, not too much craziness happened, I guess. So, Sean, as you look at this hurricane, what are your thoughts there and, and how much impact do you think that'll have on any kind of markets out there? Well, first of all, remember, it hit an area that's probably the least populated area of Florida. It's just extremely unpopulated. So the direct hit was in an area where, you know, the hit to property and, and, and you know, it doesn't mean no one lived there. And well, those that did live there, it was pretty catastrophic. But for the most part, you know, hitting Tampa, hitting or like Tallahassee or hitting Jacksonville or, you know, it just hit an area that you're just not a lot of impact to human involvement. Secondly, you know, all the citrus crops are, and the sugar crops are primarily to the South. So it didn't really do anything there. It was too far to East to mess around with the rigs in the Gulf coast. It did impact some uh, cotton in the, in, in Georgia to, to a, some extent. Um, 
but the core was a, it was sort of out of the area of, of the of the area of serious flooding. In those areas, probably got some need, uh, some meaningful positive rainfall. So net effect, I don't think there's much of an impact there. Probably the biggest impact of all was the surge that we got. If you looked at the flooding in Florida from surge, that's where most of the catastrophic flooding came from, not actually the rainfall. And if you look at the flooding that occurred in Georgia and into South Carolina, it was really flooding due to a surge and a super high tide because we had a super moon, blue moon kind of thing that uh, just happened to, to occur you know, right when um, the surge was its maximum. So, you know, that had some damage. But overall, t in terms of markets, just not a major impact. Yeah. Okay. Dodged a little bit of a bolt there, than what you're saying. We sure did. We sure awesome. did. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a look at, you got this your September report coming up here in a couple of weeks. Um, as you're taking a look at this, Sean, I mean, there's a lot of anticipation out there. Uh, I think the market's making some uh, moves right now that are a little bit, they're not really hinging on on weather in the U.S. and not really hinging on what the overall crop looks like. But there's a lot of geopolitical stuff that's being played in that right now. When you look at this September report, is there better opportunities? I guess is there more um, anticipation for a bearish report, or do you think there is more of a an opportunity for a bearish report here? Well, we know that that's the September is the first report that the USDA actually uses real data. They still have a lot of it, but they start using real data, and that number starts to move in the right direction, whatever direction that is. August is notorious for being wrong. So typically, whatever, whichever way they move in September, that's the direction they're going to move in October. You know, I mean, that's so if they raise yields, then it's a bit, you know, big crops keep getting bigger. If they lower yields, small crops keep getting smaller. So it's important from the standpoint that that's kind of starts what the real trend is for the yields. Obviously, the way soybeans have rallied on the hot, dry weather from mid-late August that we had warned about several weeks ago, um, the market is anticipating that yields are going to be considerably lower uh, than the last USDA report and potentially than the crop report that Pro Farmer put out. So, um whether or not they say that uh, in total, I think they will move down in the direction that the soybean crop is going to get smaller. Now, how much is priced in? You know, that's always the trick. Right. You know, we put on a dollar and a half on, so is it all priced in already? Are they going to still get right. surprised? That, that's a tougher thing to figure. But I think, it's cons I, I think everyone realizes this hot, dry weather, that's going to continue as far it's, – it's going to continue into the complete end of the maturation of the soybean crop. The crop's going to get smaller. It's a question of, de of degree, and has a move from twelve and a half to fourteen factored in that in, or do we need to, do we need to do more here? Yeah. Obviously, the USDA's um, take on it will set the bar on that. But for for the most part, soybeans have a pretty bullish supply demand balance sheet, um, U.S. balance sheet, and um, you know, I mean, if you look at the acres and you look at, let's say, we, we you you lose a two bushels to the acre or a bushel to the acre, you know, you start getting yourself back to that 200 million bushel carryout, you know, 220, 180, you know, the USDA never, will never say it's less than that. They just won't do it. They'll just right. come up with a, 
they'll make believe on some uh, some other numbers to to not they just won't ever tell you it's below that. So so bottom line, soybeans are tight. Um, how you know? Of course, if if that's assuming soybean export demand remains on the weaker side, if the soybean demand surprises over the next crop cycle, then you know we're got our demand ration. You know so. So there you have it. Uh, on, on corn, it's, you know you, you can lose a little bit of corn yield off the top, not a whole lot anymore. The crop's done. It's kind of made. We just have to decide what's out there. Um, I think the USDA was at 175 last in July. I think um, I, I think they probably will move down a little bit on corn, just because the weather definitely is her her production a little bit. The pro farmer tour. I think their net yield was 173, I think, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, 173, So, you know, but quite frankly, Casey, we're looking at a similar crop yield as the last two years, really. You know, yeah. load them in 170s. Load them in one, we, have, we can't seem to get, a, get out of that range. <laughs> right. Low trend, but not devastating. If you believe the demand, demand side numbers, it still means we're going to have plenty of corn. And the market's trading under $5 because it still says that's going to be plenty of corn. So to take people off of that, you'd either have to have the USDA provide a, a larger decline than the market's expecting, or demand's going to have to show up. We're going to have to see some strong buying from China or from somebody to change the balance sheet view. Um, I kind of feel soybeans are kind of nearing fully expressing this tighter balance sheet, meaning you know, $14.5 on the November contract looks to me like pretty strong overhead resistance that I'm not sure we're going to take out. Um, at the same time on corn, I don't think given the smaller crop idea that we're, that the balance sheet's going to get bearish enough to warrant going below four and a half. So okay. I kind of feel like we, we have these, I think we've established what I would call trading ranges, 12 and a half to 14 and a half on soybeans, four and a half to five and a half on corn. And I think we're just going to, kind of oscillate Casey back and forth based upon currency, geopolitics. Obviously, South American weather will start to become a factor as we start the growing season. Um, and obviously the USDA will will alter, you know, will alter people's perceptions on the, as they continue to put out their supports over the next few months and determine. And of course we're actually gonna get harvest results. I mean we're gonna hear yields off from the field. We're gonna start getting a sense for, you know, Everyone thought it was supposed to be that here. What's actually showing up on the heart on the combines? And right. you know, we'll have to see. But for the most part, typically seasonally, we look for a harvest low late August to late September. Farmers will have to sell, sell. Those that don't want to sell who have sold enough, take the corn and lock it up in the bin and say, I'm not selling another bushel until the new year. And that usually gives you that post-harvest rally. That's pretty typical. I'm expecting an earlier harvest low because I do think that the smaller crops and the hot, dry finish um, and the geopolitics warrant that. So, you know, it, it's, I think actually we're going to kind of enter kind of a boring phase for grains here for a little while until South American weather and or geopolitics gets more impactful again. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's talk about two more things. One, let's talk a little bit about what you've seen happen so far this week coming off of the Pro Farm Report. It's been a topsy-turvy week, a lot of, lot of uh, volatility up one day, down the next. Intraday moves are amazing. So I guess as you're looking at that, what are some of these factors you see right now that are 
twisting this uh, market into knots here. Well, right now, I mean, I think the the day to day fluctuations has really been about the U.S. dollar. It's been really, you know, we had a um, a big up last week, and then we had a hard down. Uh, then we had a big up, then it did two days down, and now we're up big today. You know, we had weak uh, consumer sentiment yesterday. We had weak economic uh, jobs report yesterday, but we had strong economic or strong enough economic uh, consumer expenditures today. It just seems like the market is trying to outguess, second outguess, and, and third outguess. Where's the Federal Reserve? The Federal Reserve at Jackson Hole said they might tighten some more. So, so the the market, the, mar- the U.S. dollar is just all over the place. It doesn't have a strong direction. It's not sure what they should be doing. And so those fluctuations, which have been fairly strong in either direction, are driving short-term trading sentiment in commodities, which obviously are impacted by whether the dollar is strong or weak. Until the U.S. dollar gets its act together in determining a uh, the trend, I think the currency-related volatility is going to be with us. That's what's primarily driving the markets right now, Casey. Right on. Okay. I had a we had a question from a guest uh, sent one in. We talked a lot about the Glassbridge cycle on here and what that looks like. You were anticipating a twenty-three or a twenty-five uh, effect from the Gla- uh, Glassbridge cycle with twenty-four in the middle being a strong El Nino year. I guess Sean, did you take a look at your predictions now. The models that you have out, you did talk a little bit about this in the last report you put out. As you take a look at what's going on now, Sean, what are your thoughts there? Well, our work going back 11 centuries using actual data and then tree ring analysis data for the Palmer Drought Severity Index suggested that the Gleisberg cycle is roughly an 89-year cycle that, that can happen in a three-year window. You know, one of those three years is, is typical. Um you know, in the in, in the 1930s, it was uh, 33, 34. I'm sorry, uh, 34, 35, 36. And we wind up ha- having the one in 100 drought in 34 with a with a close second in 36. If you roll that out to now, it would mean 23, 24, or 25. If you look at 23, we were coming we were coming out of a La Nina, and the question was, could a hot dry pattern remain? Uh, in this crop cycle to create that 100 drought. Remember, we started May and June, very, very dry, but cool. We had variable weather pattern in July, meaning we had enough rainfall to kind of take the pinch off the drought. And then, of course, as you know, we're having a very, very hot, dry finish. It just, what we had all the elements, like everything was there. I mean, if we had this kind of hot heat and dryness in mid-July, it would have been the Glassberg cycle. We were right. we were that close to, to, to right. this one being it, but it, it just, you know, once again, we're talking about a one in one hundred event. Everything has to perfectly come together to yeah. create it, and we just, just missed it here in twenty three. Um, now in twenty four, remember the El Nino is going to peak out in December, and we're and we're going to lose the El Nino sometime in late spring, early summer. Then the question becomes, how quickly will the El Nino effect end, and how quickly will the La Nina effect? reinstate itself because La Nina or neutral conditions are more that hotter, drier pattern mm-hmm. versus the cooler, wetter pattern that oftentimes is associated with El Nino. Um, you know, obviously, when I look at all the historical patterns going back to 1950, uh, what it, the high probability forecast, Casey, is that 
the mid-July onward is likely going to be uh, your traditional hot, dry La Nina weather pattern. The first half could be more variable, uh, meaning you know it, it you can have a, a kind of some mixed conditions. So it doesn't mean 24 can't be the Glassberg cycle. It just means that the problem is that that El Nino is going to have there's going to be a lag effect when El Nino conditions wane and when the La Nina. Let's just like we saw this year, right? Right. My guess is it's not going to be a great year. I mean, like it's not going to be an El Nino year because we're going to lose it. But I think it's going to be variable enough in the first half of the growing cycle that we're going to have, like we've had this year, a lot of problems, a lot of issues, some variability, but not enough to create the big bad crop. But not, you know, but but once again, good but not great. I'm, I'm thinking we're going to have similar below trend line yields. But not a catastrophe. That's right. the best guess we have now. Now, as we as we get closer, we have a lot of things like we always talk about signposts as we go along and we measure. As sure. we get closer to mid late spring, we'll have a much better idea of whether the El Nino is sticking around mm-hmm. in terms of the atmospheric response, or is it leaving early? If it leaves early, then we're going to heighten our awareness or heighten our um, our view about a potential Glassberg cycle for 24 right now based upon the best probabilistic forecast looking at everything that we do says not at the best weather season next year, but good enough to have good, but not great crops similar to the last couple of years. Now, when we go into 25, we should have an all La Nina crop cycle. That's your best bet for the 100 drought because your best bet for droughts in the Midwest is your La Nina cycle that is already in place. That's mm-hmm. already in the atmospheric response by the spring and is, and, 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 and is expected to remain through the crop cycle. That is your best bet for any kind of a drought cycle. And it's the best bet for that, those three years that that's your pure play. You know, this past year, it was a, it was a, Kind of a mishmash. Next year's going to be a mishmash, but that's going to be your pure La Nina cycle within the Gleisberg cycle window. So I would still say, based upon everything that we're looking at, that I would say the highest probability for the Gleisberg cycle to, to, to deliver would be 25. 24, probably not, but we'll watch the readings in, in the spring, and if we think we need to up the ante on that, we will. But right now, that's our best forecast. Right on. Okay. All right, Sean. Good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. We also have a Twitter page at Feridex, F-E-R-I-D-E-X 11, at Feridex 11. We also have a LinkedIn page where we put some interviews out from time to time. We make a few comments. We're not habitual posters. We save most of the information for our subscribers, but, uh, but from time to time, we will put those out there that can kind of keep people updated with our long-term cycle data correlation work on weather, currencies, capital flows, the things that help us make our recommendations to our farmer customers. Right on. And they can sign up for your subscription-based service on that same place? Correct. Right on. Okay. Sean, appreciate you being on, man. Look forward to next week. Me too. Thanks, Casey. Appreciate it. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and go over to the uh, YouTube page, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube. Go to movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related, 
And with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's move some iron folks out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving on